The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. The scene is Rockaway. The time is my childhood. It's my old neighborhood, and forgive me if I tend to romanticize the past. I mean, it wasn't always as stormy and rain-swept as this, but I remember it that way because that was it at its most beautiful. In those days, the radio was constantly playing at our house. My mother, for instance, never missed her favorite show, Breakfast with Irene and Roger. Good morning, darling. Pass the orange juice, please. There you go. That was quite an opening night we attended last night, wasn't it? Yes, wasn't it divine? Everyone was there from Rogers and Hart to Cole Porter. Yes, there were two completely different worlds. While my mother stood over the dirty plates in Rockaway, Irene and Roger ate their elegant breakfast over the air from their chic Manhattan townhouse while they chatted charmingly about people and places we only dreamt of. Marvelous, darling. Tomorrow morning we'll be telling you all about it and also about the new Moss Hart play, which I hear is just divine. This is Irene Draper and Roger Daly saying, have us for breakfast tomorrow and every morning and have a wonderful day. My own personal favorite show was something called The Masked Avenger, who I fantasized was a cross between Superman and Cary Grant. Little did I know. While I was on the scene, it's The Masked Avenger. It's off to jail for you. I hope you'll enjoy making license plates. Morning, London. It is Thursday, January 31st, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. Oh, no, not right wing. Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Oh, pass the orange juice, would you please, Robert? <laughs> I love that clip. Yeah. That's from Radio Days, Woody Allen's. I only saw that there a couple of days ago for the yeah. first time. It was brilliant. It was a wonderful movie. Term. And in fact, it, it feeds right into our subject today. We're going to be talking about radio and television issues. Is radio going to last forever, as Robert seems to be contending? And will TV be a thing of the past, at least what we call broadcast TV? Those are some of the issues we're going to be talking about. And you can call and join us in on the conversation at 519-661-3600. And as always, you can email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. We're also going to be not just discussing radio as such, but TV, movies, books, music, games, celebrity, and connectivity, and how they all fit together. Haven't done this in a while. And I have to tell you, Robert, from show to show, when we do things on radio, television, so many things have developed technologically, and, and I'm, I'm just so out of the, the loop as far as TV shows go. I couldn't even tell you what's on right now. But there's so many of them. There's so many, and they're so hard to pick. And uh, even though that's not necessarily our theme today, it's just one of the issues that consumers are dealing with more choice than we ever had before and it certainly affects the industry do you wanted to start with your concept? well yeah radio uh, forever and yeah, i really do believe that radio will last forever matter of fact i think that a hundred million years from now when the <laughs> sun's atmosphere expands to engulf the earth there'll be and a radio station <laughs> narrating the whole death of the earth you know armageddon yeah. that's how uh, that's how convinced i am that radio is here to stay 
And I only came to this conclusion sort of, because uh, I'm a technophile. I love technology. I love everything to do with technology. And if we can get away from some of the older technology, like uh, 33 and a third records and stuff like that, <laughs> you know, that's fine by me. Digital is where I want to be. But I just got a new car a few months ago, and it came with that satellite radio, Sirius XM. Did you ever subscribe, or did you no. ever have uh, satellite radio? Just came with the car. Um, I never thought I'd I'd listen to it, basically, because I just listen usually to 1290, uh, 980 here in London, the talk shows. Right, right? That's, that's pretty much what you can pick up. That's what I want, too. I don't even listen to music very much on the radio, though uh, the odd classical. So when I got my Sirius XM, I was a little uh, curious as to it. So uh, they gave you a three-month trial, and I listened to all the channels, basically dismissed all the hip-hop and all do that they, stuff. Do they right call away. it radio themselves? I don't know. They call or it Sirius XM. Yeah, radio, because, I guess. Because I realize it's like radio, but it's not a radio signal AM no, or it's FM. Satellite. It's digital, right? Yeah, it's all digital satellite. And yeah. yet it's still, we would call it radio, maybe is what we mean by that audio? Audio. Well, well I'm still going to stick with the word radio. Yeah, I think because it's, it's not, um, it's coming to you from a source. Yeah. A radio as, station, as if it were a broadcast. Whether yeah. it whether it's digital or whether it, what what wave it follows, is not relevant to your use of the word radio in this context. I would think. Yeah, I'm going to call it radio. Sure, <laughs> I think everybody <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, yeah, a lot of the channels were just uh, just did not suit my style. I gravitated to the comedy channels, got those all preset. The classical channels, got those all preset, and the news. Um, unfortunately, it's all American. Like you got CNN, CNBC, uh, MSNBC, whatever you call it down there, and, and uh, Fox, and boy, are they boring and dull. Really? And they're idiots. <laughs> Almost all of them are just plain idiots on the uh, XM uh, talk shows down there. Are they idiots, or are they just in the entertainment business? I don't know. They weren't entertaining me, but I tell you, <laughs> I, I tune into them just to just just to analyze it because we're sort of in the business here, right? Mm -hmm. And. Um, and they have another channel down there called POTUS, uh, Politics of the United States. In this case, I think they call it. And, yeah, no, wasn't enthralled by that at all. But there was one channel that I found myself listening to 90% of the time out of all of those channels, and that was number 82, Old Time Radio. Interesting. Classic radio channel, yeah. And I don't know if you've heard that, Bob, but we, we were talking about it uh, earlier on, but... Uh, being a, a talk junkie, you know, I listen to all of the talk, but when I found this, I go, oh, oh, I'm not listening to all the news talk anymore. I'm not getting in touch with the local channels. I have you call in a lot, and I don't hear you as often, because I'm listening to Gunsmoke and the Green Hornet. Well, you're on the road a lot. <laughs> you're on the road all day, too. So yes, you yeah. have a, you have every reason to, to want to have some sort of diversion from, from that, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I usually listen to audiobooks, uh, just plug in the USB player and listen to it. But I've got a new love as far as radio goes, and that's old-time classic radio. So listening to uh, Green Hornet this morning, as a matter of fact. Um, so what, what do I make of all of this? I'm, I'm thinking about radio and... You know, on occasion, radio here in London, we pick up 760, uh, WJR down in the States out of Detroit, where I listen to the voices of uh, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Mitch Albin, Mark Levin, Paul W. Smith, all conservative voices, in contrast to the usual ultra-left-wing voices uh, of those here in Canada, usually like from the CBC, 
which I occasionally tune into if I feel a little bit masochistic and want to hear <laughs> about basket weavers in Lethbridge or yoga practices in Temiskaming, which is basically what the CBC does. They pick on the most picayune, esoteric um, diversions in Canada, and, and they try to make it engaging. They failed this miserably. So anyone has traveled in a car... Well, at least with you they did, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they do with me. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people out there who like it, but the ratings are horrible, by the way. Anyone who's traveled in a car has grown up with radio because it's the only medium suited to listening while you're driving. And as such, broadcast radio is one medium which I think will live on forever because you don't have to really pay attention to it. You can do other things. Television, I think, is on the way out. At least broadcast television. It's on the way out. I'm not, I don't mean video, but television is on the way out. Be replaced. Like, like, like programmed, um, preset between X hour and X hour, sit down and watch it kind of television. Yep, yeah. the old television of yeah. the 1970s, 80s. Yes, exactly. Programmed television. That's where you're being replaced by the internet non-demand video. And it, the internet allows videos to be played anytime, anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um and radio, as old as it is, will always endure because it's the only medium which can be attended to while you do something else. It's a very productive medium in that sense. That's one of the reasons I find myself listening to radio a lot um, more than I do to television if I were to count my hours because yeah. I'm working a lot and, t- and radio allows me to do that. Sure, it doesn't. But you know something yeah. interesting? Hmm. And I know we talked about this off the air before. I've been I've been finding I've been treating television more like radio. Uh, yeah, you t- always telling me that yeah. you got a show going on in the background, but you know something? Uh, if you analyze it, the shows you got going on in the background are shows you've usually seen before. If if I'm yeah if I if I've seen them before, then then they don't distract me. That's see. right. If I haven't seen them before, and you have to follow the plot or look at the screen, then you have to pay attention. You can't That's be right. working. But radio doesn't require you to stop and look at the screen. Um, or, or the movies, or, or YouTube. You can go uh, on about your daily life and listen you know, to the radio. The, even the better TV shows, if they're well scripted, yeah. you'll know what's going on without looking at the screen, necessarily. Oh, sure. Yeah. Some know. of the dramas, things sure. like that, Especially, things that require action. You know, Perry Mason, you hardly have to look up at the screen. Well, sure, a guy <laughs> standing in front of a judge, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's my point, though, about the endurability of radio, is that you can continue to do... Whatever you're doing, your housework, your your schoolwork, your 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 office work, and uh, still listen to the radio. So in that sense, it'll always be around, because we always want to be entertained while we're doing stuff, other stuff. Now, like most, I also carry a smartphone everywhere. And I have an app called um, TuneIn, which allows me to listen to my favorite radio anytime, anywhere. That's appropriate. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. going to listen to radio while I'm talking to somebody. <laughs> but um, I can tune in any radio station in the world within seconds and continue to do my job. The other day I was listening to Glenn Beck out of a radio station from Seattle, you know, on my phone. I mean, what a fantastic technology. But it's still radio. It's audio. It's produced in a radio station. And uh, it'll endure well, for right now, reason. people are listening to us. It could be anywhere in the world listening to us. That's, That's true. Point. They listened on their computers yeah. to uh, to just right on CHRW 94.9 FM. <laughs> <laughs> um, and radio stations are unique as any uh, listener's taste. I mean, there's thousands of different kinds out there. And while I prefer talk radio, there's also every kind of music you can imagine, classical pop, rock, hip-hop, and even 
and every kind of international music as well. I like a lot of, uh, oddly enough, I like Indian music, Bhangra. Yeah, you, re- you introduced <laughs> me to some of that too, and I yeah. enjoyed it too. Now, as a child, I listened to pop music stations, and I even participated in their contests. Did you ever do that? No. Phone into the radio stations and name the top ten songs and win a prize? I did that. I phoned in and, and, and had requests made for songs I wanted to hear when, when I was a lot younger, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. And then I'd have a reel-to-reel tape recorder set up in front of the radio, in front of the, in front of the speakers, and I'd tape my favorite songs that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, radio was very powerful back then. It drove the music industry. Oh, yes. You know, remember and the payola days? <laughs> well, I remember CKLW in Windsor was yeah. almost the number one station in the world until the CRTC put it out of business. Hmm. They were driving all of the American uh, top ten, especially soul music and Detroit music, was strongly driven by CKLW. And then uh, they got rid of them because of the CRTC, and the whole station just never got its stature back again. Hmm. CRTC again. Eh? Because, and, and, and it speaks to something that I'll be talking about later, too. You know, I, I don't really understand how popular music is actually driven today, since um, as far as m- the music goes, uh, not a lot of the young today are listening to radio as much as you and I perhaps did. Uh, they're listening to the uh, to their pre-recorded music that they put on their, uh, their their devices and listen to that. But where do they get to know what the music is out there to listen to? You know, well, before, from their peers, I would imagine. From their peers, I suppose, all word of mouth. But mm-hmm. before, with you and I, it was whatever the radio was playing. They chose well, the playlists. That's interesting because that speaks to part of the theme I'll be talking about in the second half of the show. How about how, how even the idea of rock stars and and uh, industry driven celebrity is becoming a thing of the past as a, as a single thing. People are driving their own celebrity now. Yes, and yeah. so you, you don't even have to leave your living room and you can become a celebrity. Well, Justin Bieber. That's how he started. It was on YouTube. Yeah, you know, just a kid from Stratford put a video on YouTube, and now he's a. International star. And is that true also of Lady Gaga? I think she started that way, didn't she? I don't know. I think she was more of an actual she? musician. Well, I, I read something to the effect that she fell into that category. I don't know if oh, that could was be. true or not. Uh, actually, I don't even know any of her songs, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Um, so, driving in my car, <clears throat> I tune in some of the old dramas like Gunsmoke, as I was saying, uh, with William Conrad, by the way, mm. or Fort Laramie. My favorites are the mysteries, such as Johnny Dollar, but I also love the um, the comedy of yesterday, like uh, Red Skelton, Jack Benny. Those kinds of comedies are just that just transcend time. Comedy that seemed to do quite well without referring to bodily functions and swearing, <laughs> mostly because, of course, of the restrictions placed on uh, broadcast of the time. Which, by the way, I think increased the quality of the broadcast. I think so, too. And I don't think it need to be, you don't need restrictions like that placed by government, but by the industry itself. And by I think yourself. that's where most of it yeah. was. You know, though, although, if you listen to it, sex was a common theme mm-hmm. throughout and hidden expertly in innuendo and double entendres. That's what made it funny. That's why. That that's the, the humor, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what I love about the old-time serials is the style, the clarity of word, the brevity of conveying ideas in as few words as possible, the succinctness, where today we might say that a picture is worth a thousand words. With radio, I find a word is worth a thousand pictures. And with each word, your imagination is tested and exercised. It's the imagination that radio works on, unlike television, where nothing is left to the imagination. Each radio program, whether one of suspense, drama, mystery, or science fiction, would drive the imagination where each listener might imagine 
imagery quite different than any other listener. That's what's that's the beauty of it too. Mm, you still, might listen still to the get the same story. <laughs> yeah, you listen to the same story, but you might be thinking about something different than, say, I would. It's strange, but when I listen to an old-time uh, crime drama like Johnny Dollar, I find myself imagining the play and its characters in black and white. <laughs> And I don't know if this is because of the era that um, that when it, when, it, when it was created back in the 30s and 40s, you know? or it's because the stories were so black and white in their depiction of good and evil. Well, now that you mention it, when I think of those old time movies, I kind of think of them in black and white too. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's that's not your mind thinking in black and white, but that's the media you see it in. Yes, you know, and that's how you recall it. Yeah, and well, I have to tell you, there are some shows that look much better in black and white than they did when they when they converted them to color. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. there's a few though, but there are some. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the eternal nature of radio is its ability to fuel that imagination in ways that video just can't. With just a few words and a couple of sound effects, we can be cast back into a gritty New York street where a murder has just taken place, or on a spaceship headed to Mars. In television. Such events require extremely expensive sets or special effects, which is another reason that radio will endure, because it's cheap. Mm -hmm. It really is cheap. Especially in a world where um, the variety is going so great. It's not just like a handful of industries controlling it where the money where they have enough money to make big big productions you know yeah i mean, I mean people like you and me off the street can yeah. come into a radio station here at the university and and have our say that's how inexpensive it is and that's how variety how much variety it is as well anyway we're just going to take a, a quick yeah, break and on the other side experience we're going to continue. a little bit of old-time radio yeah and then continue on the other side with more discussion and, and by the way radio. you know woody allen in, when he was um, um narrating these i thought he did a wonderful job in, in the narration, it painted pictures, too, when he was describing a lot of the scenes in that Radio Days movie, yes. which we'll be hearing from now. Is that right, Robert? That's right. Okay, coming up. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to today's edition of Bill Kern's Favorite Sports Legends. Now, in my family, each person had his own favorite show. For instance, my Uncle Abe was a great sports fan, and he always listened to Bill Kern. Today's story is about a baseball player. His name was Kirby Kyle, a lean southpaw from Tennessee. He played for the old St. Louis Cardinals. He threw fast and he had a good curveball, and all the hitters knew it. He was a kid with a great future. But one day, he went hunting. He loved to hunt, just like his father and his father's father. Chasing a rabbit, he stumbled, and his rifle went off. The bullet entered his leg. Two days later, it was amputated. They said he would never pitch again. But the next season, he was back. He had one leg, but he had something more important. He had heart. The following winter, another accident cost Kirby Kyle an arm. Fortunately, not his pitching arm. He had one leg and one arm. But more than that, he had heart. The next winter, going after Duck, his gun misfired. He was blind. But he had instinct as to where to throw the baseball. Instinct and heart. The following year, Kirby Kyle was run over by a truck and killed. The following season, he won. 18 games in the big league in the sky. This has been Bill Carter. 
with another favorite sports legend. While Uncle Abe loved the Bill Kern sports show, his wife Seal adored a very prominent ventriloquist. And this always used to drive Abe crazy. He's a ventriloquist on the radio. How do you know he's not moving his lips? Who cares? Leave me alone. Seal and Abe's daughter, Ruthie, had her own favorite program. Naturally, it was one of those romantic boy crooners. She and her girlfriends used to sit and swoon endlessly over the sentimental lyrics and velvety voice. The local boys, of course, were all a little jealous, and they used to look on disgustedly, thinking the girls were real jerks. Then I'd rather have And now, ladies and gentlemen, the makers of General Spark Plugs bring you the Court of Human Emotions with world-famous counselor on affairs of the human heart, Thomas Abercrombie. And now, my friends... My mother and father loved to hear the show where ordinary people were helped with their personal problems. Six years ago, his mother came to live with us, and she won't leave, and he won't throw her out. Claire, how can I throw my own mother what out? What do you mean? No you grab her by please. the throat and throw her out. Oh, that's just like out that. on the just street. Just like that. Yes, grab her by the throat right. throw her out. Go out on the street. Just get a knife and stick it in here. That's what you should do. Throw my mother out. You take a knife. I found the show silly, and always imagined my parents on it airing their standard complaints. He's a business failure. He never right. finishes what he starts. We're forced to live with my relatives, and thank God for them. Mm -hmm. And I could have married Sam Slotkin. Sam Slotkin's dead. Yes, but while he was alive, he was working. She'd be lost without a whole family around her all the time, and you should see him. They're like some kind of tribe. They're like the Huns. Maybe if I had married a more encouraging woman, who knows? So who do you think is right? I think you both deserve each other. What does that mean? Look, we didn't come here to be insulted. I love him, but what did I do to deserve him? <laughs> what indeed. Actually, you chose those clips. I, the ones I chose from Radio Days, you rejected because you'd done them because before. Because we'd used them before on the show, yes. Yeah, and we have a rule not to double up on well, clips. A, not a hard, fast rule, but we try to avoid it yeah. when we can. But that one clip you, you put in there of the sportscaster yeah. about the pitcher who kept losing limbs. Yeah. You know, when I was watching the movie, I found it humorous, but not, you know, really funny. And I, I found me it too. strange that you'd put, choose it as a clip until it just dawned on me when I saw the controller, Ed, in the other room, busting a gut laughing. I'm figuring, you know, it's funnier when you don't see it. Bingo. That's exactly what I put myself through when I pick these things. I turn my head away from any video <laughs> that I'm looking at, right, to see if the listener can pick up on what's in there. And, and it what, it what I the often person. find is that the joke or whatever it might, like even in the clips we pick, you know, the, 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 the excerpts from various comedians and things, when a joke or a, or a scene or a comment is left alone, it has a far stronger impact than when it just continues because your mind is immediately distracted away from what you just saw and 
mm. torn into the next thing, right? And the other issue is that, of course, when you're not watching it and there's so many other things on the screen to distract you, you're paying more attention to the story. And I started realizing, this story is really stupid. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that's funny. It's so dumb, it's funny, yeah. right? But it didn't catch me that way, really, when I was watching it. It was like the four Yorkshiremen sketch with yeah. Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's get into television. Yeah, it's like that. Let's get into television and what's wrong with it, because to compare it to radio, you have to focus on it quite literally in order to enjoy it properly. Well, that's not what's wrong with it. That may be what's right with it. No, no, no. I'm comparing it to radio, right? And that is the focus that you you have to devote to it. You have to stop what you're doing, sit down, relax, and stare at a screen paying rapt attention, not only to the audio, but to the action on the screen. Now, you might think that that's, like you just said, a, a good thing, but I think that that's what makes it less attractive well, than radio. In, in terms of a mass audience, I think, but in terms of experience, yeah. I think you're just talking two different experiences. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it is, yes. Well, television is not portable either. And while you can view a, a video on your smartphone uh, or tablet, it's not the preferred medium to get the full value for that kind of media. To be experienced properly, you need a large, and the larger the better, screen propped up in front of a comfy couch and the largest I've seen is actually uh, in a home of a friend of mine it's a front projection uh, TV with a drop down screen about 10 feet across wow <laughs> mine is a 36 inch Sony Trinitron <laughs> about 20 years old uh, the worst aspect though of television is the commercials with radio when a commercial comes on what do you do Bob commercials what's that <laughs> exactly <laughs> you don't tune into them you tune I, I, out and oh. continue doing what you were doing in the first place driving your car your housework etc when a television commercial comes on you're uh, you're much more of a, a captive audience and you either sit and watch the commercials or you start to change the channels and miss the show you were watching in the first place quite often at the end oh. of a set of commercials <laughs> I find myself forgetting what I was watching <laughs> <laughs> You know, the stories presented on TV are what I think of as passive media, in that the complete story is presented, and all you have to do is look and listen. Stories presented on the radio, on the other hand, engage the listener. The listener is presented with an audio and descriptions, and it's his imagination which fills in the picture. And what one person imagines to be happening may be, as I said before, quite a, a different than another person's imagination. I listened to an episode of Gunsmoke recently, where the main character, Marshall Dillon, was played by William Conrad, of course. Oddly enough, Although I know what William Conrad, and he was a rather stocky man at that time, later to get rather portly, as he played in Canon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that TV oh, yeah. show, Canon. Yeah. And not quite handsome, to tell you the truth. I imagined Marshall Dillon with the features of James Arness from the television series, tall, gaunt, and handsome. My imagination helped create the character for me, although admittedly that imagination was influenced, ironically, by television. Right. So here I am listening to William Conrad, but I'm imagining James Arness. Really strange. Besides <laughs> a medium for great storytelling, though, radio is also home to the best entertainment in the form of call-in talk shows. Bob and I are no strangers to these, as we not only host one, by the way, you can call and join in in this conversation. Mm -hmm. What's the number again, Bob? 519-661-3600. There you go. You know, not only, uh, you know, do we host it, but we call in all the time. And you, uh, I don't know how often you call in on radio, uh, call in shows here in, in this town of London, but I, I swear you probably have a thousand hours of uh, 
of voice when you called in to the shows here? You, oh, that any be, idea? Maybe 10,000. It depends over what period of time. What period of time you're talking about? Oh, my we, whole life. We've been calling just, in for decades yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, easily, easily. With the with the radio call in, thirty shows. years of calling in almost every oh. other day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and actually, you're such a good caller to these uh, to these uh, phone-in shows that they let you go on for quite a long time, ten, fifteen minutes sometimes, even more. And then you drive the conversation. I find too. If you're the first caller in there, often all of a sudden I people will, are saying, no, no, I, I agree with what Bob was saying. When I call in, I often do try to pick issues that I know personally about or that I'm involved yes. with, and that's part of the issue. Yeah. Now, with these shows, we get to hear unscripted input from the community on the issues of the day. We get to understand the minds of our neighbors and friends a lot better. That's why I listen. I and like in an hear. unfiltered way. Yes. Well, relatively unfiltered. Sure. There is a... A, a person who takes the calls and weeds out what he might consider to be the nut jobs, I suppose. As much as a, a produced program may try to convey what the community at large is thinking by featuring hosts and carefully chosen guests to present an image of the country's zeitgeist, only on a radio call-in show do we actually hear from our fellow citizens directly. And listeners to a radio call-in shows, I find myself uh, thinking that people are not as dumb as our nanny state government would lead us to believe. Sure, you get lots of kinds of opinion from the left, right, and center all over the place, and the occasional kook. But on the whole, I don't know about you, Bob, but I get the impression that people practice a lot of common sense and are just as upset over the workings of our country as you and I well, often That's are. true, but I've also heard that that's perhaps part of the phenomenon of the media you're talking about. Because uh, my understanding is that talk show radio is very right-wingish. Yeah, and, I was just about and, to get and, into that. Oh, were you? oh sorry. Well, I didn't want to... <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, um, but that's, that was, that's been my observation. I got it written right yeah. here. That might be the reason that <laughs> call-in hosts are typically on the right side of our warped political spectrum, while the more scripted uh, talk shows are often on the left. Because, because that's where the debate is, is on the right. We keep saying that over exactly. and over again. Exactly. It's the only place that the ideas yeah. are. Yeah. So, so there's not much to talk about on the other yeah. side. And not only that, the call-in hosts seem to relate much better with their audience than the presenter who does not take calls. And so he has to be sort of on the right wing because the populace at large is sort of on the right wing. Talk, talk radio is almost exclusively conservative, if you think about it. Consider Charles Adler. Mm -hmm. um, in the States, you got Rush Limbaugh and Udman here in London, Paul Harvey, Mark Levin, Mark Stein. I mentioned some of these before, Mark Stein, Sean Hannity, Dennis Miller. Uh, in the States, talk radio has become dominated by conservatives since the abolishment of the uh, Fairness Doctrine. Are there any left-wing, that we call left-wing talk yeah. show hosts? Yeah, uh, talk know? show, not, very few talk show hosts. There's a lot of left-wing talk shows, but not call-in. Well, I, I, you know, you find them mostly on TV. You have uh, Oprah Winfrey, you even had Phil yeah. Donahue. Yeah. And from then on, all the talk shows on TV were very left-wing. Yes. Most of the, the hosts, not the all. The established networks yeah. are very left-wing cnn radio um msnbc that kind of a thing uh, when their radio the other talk is very uh, left-wing progressive uh, very in tune with whatever the government of the day now, of is. of course we're only speaking relative to each other we're not speaking yeah. in any absolute terms here. no and, and it's it's again it's a very nebulous yeah. thing when we talk about left right center it's again a very uh, flexible way of describing things. So while there are so-called progressive radio hosts, in my opinion, they make very boring entertainment, like I was telling you about when I listened to them on Sirius XM. It's like listening to a government bureaucrat explain how government policy is so good for us. CBC Radio, the mouthpiece of this country, has a listenership, believe it or not, of between 7 and 9% of any market. 
even though we all pay for it. Mm-hmm. 100% of us are paying for it. They only, only 7 to 9% of us tune in to that particular state broadcaster. The CNN and MSNBC on XM is, is equally as boring, like I said, as they present their progressive views on what a great job President Obama's doing. Conservative radio is much more lively and engaging, and as we say, it's the only place where there's ideas, and uh, we're never afraid. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't call ourselves conservative, Bob. We're objective. Mm-hmm. But we're never afraid to get the opinions of people to call in. We encourage people to call in because we can defend our views. We can defend our opinions. Progressives, really, they can't. Or, or even better, if we're wrong, we'll say so right off the bat. Because I'm not here to, to, you know, nail a particular point of view just because it's a particular point of view and it's labeled X and, I, and I'm glued to that label. It doesn't work that way. No. <laughs> Matter of fact, I've changed my mind about a lot of things since I was 20. Well, let's uh, take a break at the bottom of the hour here, and when we come back, Bob, you've got the uh, you've we got shall the show. go beyond radio and back again. Okay, okay. <laughs> After this, let's all sing like the birdies sing. Tweet, 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 tweet. Now I love old radio stories, and I know a million of them. I've collected them down through the years, like a hobby: anecdotes and gossip, and inside stories about the stars. Plus, I recall so many personal experiences from when I grew up and listened to one show after another. This girl singing used to be a favorite at my house, one of many. Now it's all gone, except for the memories. Unbelievable. That's song number 16 on the survey this week. And don't forget, we preview the top 20 every Friday night. A great way to start a super weekend here in the Southland. Get down. Are you sure this is the radio station? Yeah, just go on in. Well, don't push. Do you think whatever happened, happened everywhere? Like in Burbank or places like that? Well, that's the DJ. He does the news, doesn't he? Search me. I always change the channel when the news comes on. Here's something in here. So where is he? I mean, somebody has to run this stuff, don't they? We got trouble, not us. That's the name of the song, and I'm Steve LeBeau, trapped inside your radio, the guy who really cares about you. I mean, who else would sit in this little box every day just to play music for you? Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Got a letter from... Beam me up, Scotty. And back down again, eh? (laughs) Robert and I really do care about you, even though we might not really be here. I mean, how can you ever really know? This is radio, after all. One of us is just a ventriloquist. <laughs> you know, I thought about that. Could you get? Could somebody get away with that doing a radio show, co-hosted by himself? I don't know. You know. By the way, Robert, how many end of the world scenarios have you seen where the one, one of the first destinations that the survivors always head for is the local radio station? I can think of a couple off the top yeah. of my head. There's uh, including quiet. that one we just heard from, which was Night of the Comet. Oh, Night of the Comet. Yeah, yeah. no, Quiet Earth. I think mm-hmm. uh, they employed the radio there, and the one with Charlton Heston, uh, where oh. the albinos. Yeah. What was that one called? Oh, uh, oh, geez, I should know it, but I can't think of it. It'll uh, come Last Man on Earth, or something like that. I know. Um, 
The Omega Man. Omega Man, yeah. yes. Yeah. And uh, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, uh, it's just interesting how how radio figured into that central community, you know, the community center almost in a way. Um, interesting. Going to other points of the media, I was looking at the paper just on October 9th where the headline reads, Canadian TV risks extinction. And this was a um, QMI agency reporting that Pierre-Carl Pelado, president and chief executive of Quebec Corps Incorporated, told an audience of international entertainment content leaders that the Canadian television industry must be positioned globally or it could, quote, face extinction. He gave a speech entitled, Positioning Canadian Content in a Global Digital World, at an annual and entertainment market in Cannes called MIPCOM, M-I-P-C-O-M. Instead of focusing solely on, the produ on producing local programming, Canada's TV industry should develop more TV concepts that can export around the world, he said. Pelado told the audience, two trends in particular are threatening the country's TV business model. The first is that the country's funding systems rely on politicians and taxpayers who aren't feeling particularly generous these days, he said. And the second worrisome trend he commented on was the fact, and this is what we've been talking about in the morning, uh, the way TV is watched and distributed now. It's evolving in entirely. It's no longer the broadcast model. And he added that the country's regulations and funding systems need to be more flexible to accommodate technological changes facing the TV industry. Now, of course, coming from someone in, in the TV industry, that could be a two-edged sword. You never know whether he's looking for more government funding or if he wants more, at least they weren't specific, or if he wants more freedom for the industry to do what it has to do. That's exactly what Sun Media is in a battle for now. How, how do you mean? Oh, well, Sun Media and uh, Palado, of course, owns Sun Media, but... Uh, uh, they're trying oh, the, the Sun, the Sun Network. Sure, yes, yes of course. Yeah, they're trying to get on on cable. I'm always thinking newspaper when I hear Sun. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and and um, so where that will end up, I think he's correct that uh, we're certainly got a noose around our, our our necks in terms of Canadian content. How far can you go with that? That's a very local thing. Nothing wrong with it in, in and of itself, but when you force it on an industry, you can't expect that industry to to uh, compete if it always has to reflect a certain type of culture, a certain type of attitude, and never extend beyond its own uh, provincial boundaries, if you want to put it that way. Now, this was the, uh, the, the, the actual crux of my what I wanted to get into today. I'm basing a lot of what I'm going to say between now and the end of the show on an article written in the London Free Press by Steve Tilley way back in April 9th of last year, and it was called The Cool World of Tomorrow. And in that article, he reviews everything from TV, movies, books, music, games, celebrity, and connectivity. And sort of gives us a, a quick overview of where we're heading in these directions. And some of this stuff is happening now, and some will happen in the very near future. And he breaks them down in various uh, sections. And I broke them down myself, uh, according to, so that I could in integrate some other commentaries in with what he was saying with regard to each of these subjects. And I'm going to start with TV and movies. Just very brief comments about a lot of these. And he suggests that five years from now, sitting in front of a 2D television to watch Game of Thrones at 9 p.m. on a Sunday could seem as quaint as people gathering around a radio <laughs> for the latest Captain Courage serial. So he's picking, he's picking on you, Robert. <laughs> How quaint. Yes. <laughs> 
Changes to behind-the-scenes technology in both filmmaking gear and movie theaters is quietly continuing. And by the end of 2012, just ended, roughly two-thirds of all movie theaters worldwide will use digital projectors and hard drives instead of reels of film. Most North American chain cinemas have already undergone that switch. They have in London as well. They're all gone now. Are they all gone? Yeah. Not a one left? Not even nope. for, you know, just so we can go and look at it? <laughs> no, no, as a matter of fact, um, I know I have a friend who was really lamenting the fact and was toying with the idea of buying uh, some of the last projectors here in the city. Yeah, you can add them to those VCRs you got from the cable yeah. companies, those big, <laughs> big ones. And he says, um, even sharper forms of high-definition TV will debut in a few years to be followed by the first commercially viable, get this, home hologram projectors later this decade. And he puts in brackets, no, seriously. (laughs) In the shorter term, 3D will quietly become a feature of every new TV sold. And eventually, we won't need glasses for for the 3D effects anymore. Maybe then 3D content will take off and become relevant. Um, interesting comment there because um, my grandson has a 3D screen among the many in his bedroom and it sits tilted on a side not really being used yet because he hasn't got a lot of stuff to use on it but it's a standalone 3D screen and it's a little thicker than the usual flat screens just by a little bit maybe twice as thick at least my perception of it so um, we can see that becoming a, a future trend and then of course there is music And this was an interesting thing he started with because I had this experience myself. And he said, not so long ago, you could have some fun by showing kids vinyl records and cassette tapes to see if they can identify what they are. More often than not, you may get puzzled stares. Today, it's not that... This was an interesting... I had that experience. What, somebody show you an Edison cylinder? (laughs) (laughs) No, I showed someone my turntable. Ah, yes. And... uh, being a young child or younger, you know, didn't recognize what it was for. I'm amazed that, that it could do that. And, I, and I'm thinking, well, why is that? She would have known what a record player was in and of itself. But I never understood the disconnect until something he, that um, Steve Tilly wrote here. And he says this. He says, today it's not that young kids don't recognize the outdated media formats so much as they don't grasp the concept of music having a physical form, period. Ah, the grooves in the record. Yes, that's just... Are analog. They were made by vibrations, yes. Yeah, records, tapes, CDs. What do these have to do with my iTunes collection, right? (laughs) That's how they're thinking. Like, how do I get that into here? Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) While there may still be vinyl pressings and limited CD releases, and ironically, literal mixtapes, music today is almost entirely digital and incorporeal. Tomorrow's biggest rock stars could be artificial intelligences. Now, that was a stunner. Hmm. He says, give it a few more years, and computer-generated music, that is, original tunes cooked up on the spot according to algorithms that understand the structures of songs and what pleases the human ear, will go from a cool curiosity to an accepted alternative. I have a hard time... uh, I'm having a hard time with that one. You're a bit of a skeptic. Little bit, I'm yeah. a bit of a skeptic too, to tell you the truth, and and also to, though uh, I'll tell you, I have heard. I'm not tunes, saying it's not possible. I'm I have heard tunes out there which I could swear any computer could come up with. Or that they're that bland. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> they're they're formulaic. Yeah, and he's saying you know not too long from now books will be made of paper thin digital screens. Computers will compose amazing original music based on your mood, 
and superstar celebrities will be self-made instead of anointed by Hollywood. <laughs> well, this was not a new idea, and we're going to our next break now, and we're going to hear of exactly such an example that was brought up in the very first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Muse, uh, you know, a computer or an instrument that composes music based on your mood. And, uh, well, if you're always in a bad mood, what's your music going to be like? You know, how does that work exactly? Hip-hop. And that's almost what this clip sort of <laughs> alludes to. We'll be back right after this. Now hold it a little bit more firmly. That's it. Perfect. Now think. No, think's not right. Feel the notes inside your head. No, it's all right. You can't break this. Did, did exactly what I thought. Felt. Yes, it's a direct reflection of the music within. Now we just have to teach you to structure that feeling. Try it again. beautiful now play something happier that's not the way I feel I don't like jazz music and I don't like it on behalf of you, the common stupid person. Here's why. Hold on, you're pretty dumb. Here's why. <laughs> because, because jazz is all about making the common man feel dumb. That's all it is. It's a bunch of guys all playing different songs at the same time. It's just a racket. Just noise. It's like a whole genre of music is defying you to like it, you know? What's the matter, man? Don't you get our smart people's music? Maybe you're too dumb, dummy. It's the notes we're not playing. What? Doesn't even make any sense. That's a trick, clearly. It's a trick. Let's say you go to see some live jazz music. And if you do, I'm sorry, it's not my fault. But let's say you lose a bet or whatever. You, you fall down some stairs into a jazz club. <laughs> All right? So you got these guys on stage, and uh, it's just it's horrible. And then, uh, like, the stand-up bass player, he's doing a solo. Mm, hooray. And he's going on and on. <laughs> See, you don't even need the thing. And just at the point where you're almost asleep, right? Then you think, because you're lulled into the rhythm, you think the guy's going to go barrel, but instead he goes barrel. And here's what happens. This is the worst thing jazz guys do. When that happens, 
He, instead of going bear, he goes bow. The other jazz guys on stage, they all start laughing. <laughs> they start laughing like it was the funniest thing they ever did see. Oh, ha, 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 ha. And you're in the audience saying, I don't get the jazz joke. Why? Why is that note so hilarious? You've played many notes this evening, none particularly side-splitting. That's not funny. Because humor inherently, if something is inherently funny, it's relatable after the fact. Anybody who says you had to be there should just not have told you the thing in the first place, because then it's not funny. I wasn't there. If it was funny, I wouldn't have to be there. Don't you tell me where I have to be. Well, I don't know. I kind of thought he was there listening to the music. Didn't he, didn't he enjoy it? <laughs> he didn't get the joke. I don't know. A little harsh on jazz music there, but I can understand how some people don't like jazz. I like a lot of jazz, but not all. Uh, I'm of not it. a fan. Not, not a particular genre fan, but I like a lot of it. But, um, that's, again, that's music. We were talking about music in terms of some of the many trends that are all being, you know, brought together by our technology today. And, of course, another one is books. And Steve Tilly continues in his article writing, If I had a dollar for every person who vowed he or she would never use an electronic reader and then became hooked as soon as they tried one, I'd be rich. Forecasting and analysis firm Juniper Research predicts ebook sales will hit 9.7 billion U.S. in 2016 compared to 3.2 billion in 2011. And what about paper books? Ebooks will ultimately win out in terms of convenience, but there's a lot to be said for the sight, smell, and feel of the printed page. Unlike their high-tech counterparts, standard books can be resold, passed down through the family, and look really nice stacked on your bookshelf. And their batteries last a lifetime. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and then, of course, there's uh, the cool world of tomorrow. Continuing his article, he talks about games, too. And he says, uh, video games to ra today range from blockbusters that ra rake in more than a billion dollars, such as Call of Duty, Modern War Warfare 3, and to tiny independent gems that use gaming as an innovative storytelling medium storytelling medium to simple social diversions. Um, I was wondering why the, why the papers were putting so much attention to these video games as much as the movies, right? These, these games, Robert, are grossing as much as the movies are, some of them. Yeah. Some of them even more. And obviously they're not just knock-em-down kind of games. They get very, very involved kind of games, right? Um, this is interesting, too, in terms of games. This is a Jim, Jim Slotek, writing for QMI, writes in the Free Press August 23rd last year. Fangirls gaining new geek ground at comic book and sci-fi conventions across North America. Many of the Star Trek, Star Wars, and horror fans in video, uh, of video games are female. Last August, some 7,000 female fans attended the second annual Women-Only Geek Girl Con in, in Seattle. In the gaming world, according to the Entertainment Software Association, 47% of all players are women. Which accounts for another article that perhaps a statistic I saw. Do you know that in, in video games there's hardly any sex? No. That's what it says. As far as what sells, it's, it's like point zero 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 nudity and sex. There's a few games and they just make all kinds of news. But relative to the mass, there's, it's almost nil. That's how intolerant that industry is of it. It just they don't sell. Isn't that an interesting uh, thing to observe? Yeah. And there are companies trying to change that, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Well, what can you say? And, of course, there's a whole issue of celebrity itself. 
It's impossible, to, and this is back to Steve Tilley's article, it's impossible to talk about the future of celebrity, he says, without talking about how the definition of fame itself is changing. It is simultaneously more accessible and yet more fleeting. As our decade marches on, our attention will be ever more split between the celebrities carefully packaged by the, by the industries and those created in the online womb. That is, until the day when performances, can, total performances can be digitally manufactured. With computer-generated visuals evolving at today's pace, the debut of com, uh, completely convincing virtual actors is a matter of when, not if. You think so, Robert? Um, perhaps, perhaps. I'm a bit skeptic again, but... Look, I'm saying it's possible, but you mm. think that's what the market will want, or do we want real people? That's, well, that's well, what I think would drive it. To tell you so the truth, we've already, we've already had uh, these. In, there's some um, anime out there that's very lifelike mm -hmm. and true. makes a lot of money. Yeah. And, of course, connectivity itself. He says, all of the above subjects and categories are inexorably linked to the online experience, from how we access our entertainment to how we discuss it with each other. But as our entertainment demands lead us to wanting to gobble up more and more data, we may ultimately lose our familiar flat-fee monthly Internet access. The big Internet service providers want nothing more than to meter our usage by the gigabyte. <laughs> hmm. right? So that's where he ends all that. Now, just just as a side, Bob, I got a, a text today from Bell saying, you want to watch the Super Bowl on your smartphone? Pay yeah. five bucks for ten hours over a month. Oh, God, go. help me. Now, in the midst of all this, believe it or not, MP wants loud ads regulated, <laughs> you know, in the free press from uh, February of two years ago. Canada's television watchdog announced it is asking Canadians how it can prevent TV commercials from piercing their eardrums. Said conservative MP Nina Gruel, I feel bad for old people. They have hearing aids and they look for the remote control and everyone's affected by it. We need peace in the house. End quote. The CRTC announced a launch of public consultations on regulatory measures it could enact to ensure commercials are not perceived to be louder than the shows on which they air. Viewers should not have to adjust their volume, says the CRTC. Yes, what a chore. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, first of all, commercial, what's that again? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this is the stuff that great political debates are made. Uh, you know, whereas folks like you and me, Robert, would not even conceive of the government regulating sound volumes or broadcasts, this is a perfect conservative-liberal battle. First of all, first off, both would be in total agreement that the sound levels should be regulated, but they would go on with their public hearings and committees and more hearings forever arguing whether A, the relative volume of the commercial should be turned down to the level of its accompanying programming, or B, whether the relative volume of the programming should be turned up to the level of the commercial. <laughs> right? I mean, advertisers could easily argue their commercials run on several different shows, which would require a, setting a single commercial to several different volumes, right? So programmers, you know, should make their pro programming louder. Do you break your egg at the thick end yes. or the thin end? I can see it all now. You know, volumes and volumes of regulations specifying the exact decibels that a particular broadcast segment should have. While the real volume problem, if I can get this off my chest, is the volume variances within movies, especially the digital DV DVD movies you get. You have to turn the sound up to almost hear anybody talk, just to hear the, you know, yep. the, 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 the script. <laughs> and as soon as you can hear what's being said, then suddenly the explosions, alarms, screaming, gunfire, and mayhem all start. They come at you in maximum full sound, Dolby surround, boom, you know, your whole house shakes. 
to scare you out of your chair, and then when it all stops, you've already turned down your volume again, and you can't hear the talking characters talk You know, anymore. that's true. And, and that, to me, is the one I would have thought they'd pick on <laughs> if you're going to do something that silly. Not, please don't take me seriously. No. I'm not, ex- not expecting that for a minute. But if you've ever wondered why even the simplest things in business, commerce, and entertainment go awry when the government gets into the game, just apply the multiplier effect to this principle, to every volume restriction, financial restriction, viewership restriction, whether it's adult, children, general, content restrictions from foul languages to official languages, you know, everything's regulated. You know, uh, it's almost amazing that, that producers can come up with something valuable to say with all the regulations put on around them. And, uh... I find it amazing, too, that we could be living in a world where the commercial capitalist side of our economy is predicting that we'll soon have holographic entertainment beamed into our living rooms, while here in Ontario and in Canada, we're going to have a 2014 ban on our incandescent light bulbs. I mean, how stupid is that? It it just doesn't get any sillier. And uh, just to close up, Robert, I thought this was a cute thing, and this is from the London Metro, uh, written by John Mazzaroli. Shields up. Red alert, he says. And I'll just read it as it is. It speaks for itself. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your pointy ears. I come not to bury Star Trek. Frankly, Voyager did that. But to (laughs) praise it. (laughs) Star Trek, the next generation, is on Netflix now. And I'm completely engaged. I've complained in this space before that not too much modern pop culture... uh, uh, Oh, sorry, that too much modern pop culture is just the repackaging of ideas we've seen before. So I apologize for my earlier complaints. Star Trek, the regurgitation is just fine by me. (laughs) I was the perfect age for the original run of TNG, 11 years old. So going back to the future is a pleasant reminder of my not-so-days and confused youth. I get older, the Enterprise crew stay the same age. In a world where people no longer meet in town halls and churches, some of us get our sense of community by discussing the legend of Vulcans or orcs or hard-drinking ad execs. Whether that's a step forward or back, I'll leave to you. But how satisfying to gauge a fellow Trekker's knowledge level by their recognition of, make it so, beginner. There are four lights intermediate <laughs> all husnock everywhere expert oh i love that one i don't great I, don't, I don't know that one i'm, I'm obviously not an oh expert. he was a dowd remember and he oh. killed every husnock oh, everywhere <laughs> anyways he i'm conclu- an expert you see bob yeah anyways he concludes it's good to boldly go where i've already been before and with that robert and i invite you to return to where you've already been before by joining us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction hey you know what to do we'll be back to color and color it to black and white under the bedclothes everything will be alright okay I'm in my bedroom I've just gotten out of the bathtub to get dressed when I open the closet all my clothes are gone suddenly I hear the sound of footsteps on the dry leaves outside I turn and there's a little girl with her nose pressed up against the window fascinating but her breath is fogging up the glass so that I can't make out her face I'm sorry, Dr. Crane. I hate to interrupt, but you're all out of time for today. Oh, dear. Um, listen, uh, Jill, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but listen, I'd like to continue talking with you when we're off the air, so please don't hang up. Uh, meantime, listeners, I've enjoyed our time today. Uh, tune in again tomorrow when we'll be talking with... Blah, old... blah, Fraser Crane Show. Happy help you, buddy. <laughs> Yo, Jill, you a football fan? Not really. Then beat it. <laughs>